Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We are very happy today to have with us Dennis Prager. He's certainly well known to our audience, uh, a renowned radio host. He's a writer, uh, a theologian, biblical commentator, and a, and a conductor as well. I actually listen to his show often while driving on the, uh, on the freeway, uh, on the beltway when I have to be there, uh, and find it really one of the best uh, reflections on the day's happenings out there in the media, including, uh, one thing I'll note, his willingness to allow liberal leftist voices uh, a lot of room to, to talk back and, and engage with him. Uh, I mentioned he is a writer. He is a, a prolific writer who has produced several nice volumes on the Bible, and the most recent book is called The Rational Passover Haggadah. Our topic today, welcome Mr. Prager. Great to be with you. You were on my show, and you're, it's a delight to reciprocate. <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 I, think, I think the bigger benefit is mine, uh, because first, this is, I want to say, before getting into the content, this is a very handsome volume. I have it in my hands. The paper is lovely. The cover is, is, is very nice. And did you, did you play a role in the design and production of the book? Uh, I... Uh... Well, I'm just hesitating because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but uh, I'm adamant about the aesthetics. Uh, and I, yes, I played a strong role. I, I love graphic design personally. I I even chose the Hebrew font for the Hebrew parts, which of course were all translated. And uh, I commissioned the artist for the for the jacket cover. In my Rational Bible series and this, uh, I actually, in, in my contract with the publisher, I must approve the quality of the paper. And in fact, uh, it's such high quality that my next volume of the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, was actually delayed a year because they couldn't get the paper due to all the, all the problems in, in the lockdown era. So... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy you noted it because I think it's very important, and I think that these sacred texts deserve beauty. Well, I, I don't want to I don't want to belabor this too much, but I have it in my hand right now. The paper the paper did stand out to me. It's sort of a, a cream color, yeah. but it has a it has a real tangible paper quality right. to it. That, well, that, uh, a lot of a lot of books are printed on wrapping paper. I mean, it's an insult to the <laughs> author, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is something that uh, people can certainly be proud to have uh, to have on their shelves. And the cover is 
Uh, let's see. We have a we have a man in, in a cape on a promontory with his arms outspread. He's got a staff in his left hand, and the waters are parting. That's right. Everybody knows who that is. Moses. Did, you you chose and, that image. You said. Uh, I told the artist what I would like to see and in, and keep within the 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 genre of the rational Bible series. So. Uh, it, People who have those volumes will be happy to add this. I do have those volumes, and you say Volume 3 is coming out? Volume 3, uh, listen to this. This will uh, really crack you up, because th this is really, uh, it's, it's one for the ages. Costco, yes, Costco, that Costco, has ordered 25,000 copies of the next volume, Deuteronomy. And I figure if I got Costco to order 25,000 copies of Deuteronomy, which I doubt anyone at Costco can spell, and it's no, not an insult <laughs> to Costco, it's just nobody follows biblical uh, names anymore, uh, I, I, I seem to have achieved something because they believe it'll sell, otherwise they wouldn't buy it. Well, let's tell our listeners to reward Costco for that decision, please. Thank, thank you. Very <laughs> okay, so the, the book, you, you begin with the point that the Passover is actually the longest observed ritual in the world. Uh, what, do you, what, is the, what is the key to its longevity? I mean, why, why hasn't it evolved into something else as the whole rest of the world has changed so much? This is a big theme of mine about America, about Christianity, and about uh, Judaism, indeed about any nation and any religion. Uh, the moment you drop ritual, uh, you will uh, eventually lose your religion or, and lose your national identity. We're, we're in a crisis in the United States uh, with, with regard to... Uh, uh, one second, forgive me. We're in a crisis uh, in the United States with regard to perpetuating Americanism. And a major reason is that the rituals have died. We don't have any more July 4th rituals. It's just a date for a barbecue. Uh, we don't have uh, any, any more Columbus Day. It's, it's Indigenous Peoples Day. We don't have any more Washington's or Lincoln's birthday. It's President's Day, which means nothing. Uh, we don't have any more Memorial Day. It's, again, another day to be off. People don't visit graves of the fallen. So uh, it, it's just we're losing America. The Jews have been around 3,500 years in large measure because of rituals. And this and the Sabbath are the big two. Would you say that the, uh, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish prophets, going way back, really in, in some way understood this, that this ritual, one of the purposes would be not just the content of the ritual, but its repetition would be crucial to the endurance and unity of the Jews. Well, the, yes, the proof is that they, the proof is this book, the Haggadah, which is at least 2,000 years old, and it is, and, and the word Seder, this is the giveaway, Everyone knows Passover Seder. Seder is, is the Hebrew word. It's in, it's in modern Hebrew as well as ancient Hebrew. It means order. They gave you the order. I mean, it down to the detail, uh, uh, as you can see, anybody who reads it, I mean, to, to, to what, is, what foods are placed out, I mean, not, not for the main dish, but this, the, the, the ritual foods, 
and and uh, the the ten or, or whatever number it is, and I have that all in there, uh, aspects of the of the seder. So they knew you had to have a a, a rigorous order so that it be perpetual, and that if I, an American Jew, go to uh, to the to the Jews of Morocco, uh, I will have the exact same seder as they do. You know, there's something reassuring about that, that wherever you go, it, it will be there. It's, it's, it's the same. And it's, it's almost as like if there's a paradox in that making it a very complex ritual, it does have the, you, you lay out very clearly all the 15 steps that making it so complex and saying, you cannot tamper with this. You cannot touch this. This, this is not going to be something that is casual. That actually, again, paradoxically, ensures its its continuance. That's right. Yeah. yeah look, uh, th- that's why I have a, I have a lot of sympathy uh, for Catholics who wanted to retain the Latin Mass. Uh, uh, as one who uh, goes to a synagogue where everything is in Hebrew, and half the people don't know Hebrew who are there. I I, I know Hebrew like English, but I but no credit to me. I just learned it from a very early age. And and then pursued it as an adult, but uh, it's you lose something. There's no, I mean, a Catholic who goes to to a a an American Catholic who goes to a, a church in France will be lost. I mean, they'll they'll have an idea what's going on. Obviously, the communion is the same, but uh, it, it's um, it's in French. Well, it's it's almost like the ritual could be the you know the canary, in which. If you see the rituals starting to deteriorate a little bit, this is a sign of a deeper deterioration in, in the entire institution. That's right, and and it's the most obvious right now uh, is uh, is in America. There are no more American rituals. They the it used to be kids went into school they would stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. They they would say a non denominational prayer. They have no, the only rituals now are what is your preferred pronoun? <laughs> we'll see how long that. Yeah, that 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 lasts. They'll, they'll, well, yes. Uh, you you, well, you it, go. It only proves it only proves that the leftist substitution for uh, American rituals. Uh, they understand the need for their rituals. Yeah, yeah. People need yeah. rituals if they're not going to have traditional American, then they'll have new leftists. They will, uh, they will search for false gods if, if the true God isn't there. That's, that's right. That's, that's true. exactly right. To, to, to the ritual, the Seder, you say that the emotional goal of the Passover is not really happiness. It's rather gratitude, yes? That's right, and I prove it with the liturgy that's written there. The uh, there are laws in the in the Bible, in the Torah specifically, the first five books, which I'm, I'm writing my commentary on. There are actual laws to be happy, uh, and the, for the other festivals, uh, Pentecost and Tabernacles, uh, that's Shavuot and Sukkot in Hebrew, and uh, that's a I love that fact. It has informed my my whole thesis on happiness that it's a moral obligation, not an emotional state. Happiness is, is a, a moral achievement, not just a, a fun thing. So, uh, however, with Passover, I, 
it's interesting. It, it's the one, the three, fe- there are three festivals, uh, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and Passover. But this one doesn't say be, be there's no law to be happy. Uh, this one is a, the laws to be grateful. And it's another brilliant insight of the Bible. You can't be happy without gratitude. So you can only be happy on the other festivals. This is the first festival of the year in the Jewish calendar. You can only be happy if you're grateful. So the purpose of Passover is gratitude. Gratitude over, of course, the exodus from Egypt, the miracles that accompanied it, etc. The whole thing is brilliantly finely tuned. You go into the the fine tuning in in detail, down to very specific elements of the ritual. For instance, what role does wine play in the meal? Well, many roles. One one is that uh, you're you're supposed to. You're supposed to even recline if you can in your chair. Many many traditional Jews put a pillow on their on their chair or sit on a sofa. Th- this is a night to act as if you are the wealthiest man in the world, and and it is accompanied by wine. In Judaism, wine uh, wine is not only allowed but prescribed. Clearly, not not for anyone who who has either health issues with alcohol or addictive issues. Obviously, these people should have something else like grape juice. But for those who can, there, it, the, uh, the earliest traditions we know are four cups of wine that night. For the four verbs uh, of what God did as listed in, in, uh, uh, in, in Exodus, I have taken them out, I'll take the, and I have redeemed them, and we have, uh, I have uh, freed them. Uh, there are four verbs, and each each one of the cup represents one of the four things that God did for the Jews in the Exodus. The Exodus story, you say, must be told again and again. And this is so, even if everyone knows every detail of it already, it must be retold. Why is that? Yeah, you know, by, by the way, let me commend you on your careful reading. It, it's it's a rare person I talk to about this. Who, it was a great who, read. Well, I'm glad. Well, it's a credit to you, then it's a credit to me. Great. But actually, this one is a credit to the rabbis of 2,000 years ago. They said exactly that. Even, this is in the text. This I didn't make this up. The text says, even the greatest scholar is obligated to tell the story again. That, that, that's brilliant. You know, imagine if we did that in America. Every July 4th, you are obligated, even a professor of history is obligated to tell the story of the American Revolution again, the Constitution again, uh, the Bill of Rights again, the Declaration of Independence again. Then, then no one forgets it. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. 
I think there is some profound wisdom about human nature in that injunction. You must, you must act these things out. You must, you know, externalize them. You, you must ritualize them. It's not just they're in you and I know them and okay, I got it. I think that, that the wisdom there about human nature is that if you don't reenact, ritualize it, then it's just sort of going to slide into sort of just a casual, well, it's just sort of part of the, you know, part of the world and it, it loses. It loses its, its transcendent power. It, uh, uh, well, it won't last. Physical, we're physical beings and we must have physical expression of all the most important concepts in life. It is like saying you don't, you don't, you never have to hug your wife. You just have to feel love. You never have to tell it to her. You never have to hug her. Uh, it, anyone who said that would be regarded as a fool. But why? You, why isn't why isn't it enough to feel it? Well, it's the answer is self-evident. The same with religion. And by the way, I, I'll tell you, it, it's uh, it's it is a very early insight in my life. When my first radio job for 10 years was to host a show on ABC radio in LA, incredibly popular show. Uh, I inherited it. It was popular and, and it became even more popular. And it was, I was the moderator of a priest minister and rabbi for two hours each week uh, and different uh, priests, different ministers, different rabbis each week. And on occasion, I would ask the, the, the Catholic priest uh, and the Protestant minister, I would say, uh, if I came to your house after church on Sunday, how would I know it's Sunday and not another day? How would I know it's, it's at all a holy day? And they said, well, you couldn't by anything we did. It, we have it in our hearts. And, and I, I, I didn't find that persuasive. <laughs> I, I... Neither do I. <laughs> I'm not a, come on, you guys. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, now, you, just in terms of the format of the book, it's much more than a description or a breakdown of the meal. You also include there discussion sections that include questions and ruminations, such as, why should I take God and religious seriously? Is, is this intended then as a guidebook for people? It's, it's a primer, and they should take this and they should act. They should act on it. The fact is, if if anybody read it in the middle of December, it would be just as valuable as at, at a at a at a seder. The book is meant to be read. If you if you use it at a seder, whether it's Christians doing it, Jews doing it, both of them doing it together, that's great. But you could read this any day of the year. Seventy five percent of this is exactly what you described: essays and discussions. On, on subjects like you just mentioned. You, in, in there, you say that Judaism is one of the, one of the general principles that, that you offer. You say that, quote, Judaism fills one's life with meaning. You know, I read that and, and I said to myself, yes, so why do so many, this is taking us out of the book for a moment, why do so many go through, so many people go through life without meaning, without any deeper purposes, without any transcendent orientation. I mean, one would think there's a thirst for meaning there. Why do they do well, this? There is, 
there is a thirst for meaning, and the secular world gives secular substitutes for transcendent meaning. When Christianity dies, it's not like people stop uh, amusing Christianity because it's the dominant religion of the West. When, when, when it uh, dies or fades, people don't stop uh, searching for meaning. They, they have substitute. We're living in the age of substitutions, feminism, environmentalism, uh, Marxism, humanism, all of these isms uh, are are substitute religion. People cannot live without meaning. They can live without sex, and I'm using that only because uh, we 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 went from uh, from uh, Marx to Freud to uh, to what we have today uh, to you know evolutionary explanations for everything. In other words. Freud said sex was the dominant uh, aspect of human nature. But the truth is, uh, and I got this from Viktor Frankl, I, I always try to cite sources, uh, the, the urge for meaning is greater even than the, the need, than the need for sex. There are people who have little or no sex and they have a happy life. There is no one, not one person with little or no meaning who has a happy life. How do you understand the identity of someone who says, I'm a Jew, or I'm a Christian, but doesn't believe in God? But I, but I don't believe in God. Well, how, how do we see this person? Well, there, there are two separate issues, Jews and Christians. A Christian who says, I don't believe in God, rarely will say he's a Christian. That's because true. Christianity, right. <laughs> Christianity is a religion. Judaism is a people as well as a religion. So you could be an atheist Jew just as much as you could be uh, an atheist American. America is, American is a nation. Jews are a nation. Uh, the Jews are both. So therefore, uh, it's, it's both a, a blessing and a problem because you know, people don't understand. When a, when a Jew stops believing in Judaism, he's still called a Jew. But when a Christian stops believing in Christianity, He's not called a Christian. <laughs> See? Yeah. So, so that's why people think, oh, my God, why, how come all these Jews have gone to the left? Well, what, because, which is true, and it's a tragedy, but it's just as true for, for, for Christians, except they're not called Christians anymore when they go to the left. Yeah. You note that, quote, in every generation, someone seeks to annihilate the Jews. Is this strong in the Jewish consciousness? Extremely. And uh, I remember, I think I wrote this, that's again 2,000 years old at least. That's in the liturgy. I didn't, I didn't write that line. That's in the text. And I remember as a kid, uh, and I was a kid after the Holocaust, and I, I remember thinking, well, I don't think they were right because I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think there's going to be someone who wants to annihilate us. And I was wrong uh, because, you know, look at Iran. Iran's whole raison d'etre is to annihilate Israel. Uh, it, it really is an amazing thing. Uh, see, this is an issue of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is unique among all the, the bigotries uh, and biases and prejudices in that the, the real anti-Semite wants to exterminate the Jews uh, not not just dislike them. I don't care if, if someone doesn't like Jews. It is no no consequence to me. I care if they want to annihilate us. 
then it, then it is of consequence to me. Uh, b- back to the back to the ritual. Who are the four sons? Yeah, this is an amazing thing. Ever, ever, most any Jew who knows anything about uh, Judaism or Passover knows the four sons story. So there are four sons, that meaning that you everybody's kids are different. So there's there is the wise son, the evil son, or bad son. There's the son who is simple and the son who doesn't know how to ask questions. And you and there are four ways of explaining to each of those what the Passover and Exodus are about. But I make the point there that there's no good son, which makes no sense. There's a bad son. And this, too, is the brilliance of the Haggadah. And that is that you can't be good without wisdom. Hmm. You say in, in one, one heading, God alone, no angel, no human killed the firstborn. Why must we always keep this truth in mind? Well, of course, that too, that's not only from the text of the Haggadah, that's from the text in, in the Bible. It, it is it is I God, not an angel or any or any or any human. When it, when it comes to to uh, taking uh, life and, in a sense, innocent life, because the firstborn are not all responsible for the slavery of the of the Jews, uh, God knows God has to do it. He is not telling anybody to do it on His behalf. I think there's a very powerful thing there. You also go into some historical issues. Do we have historical evidence for the Exodus story? Well, I, I give seven arguments for its historicity from Richard Elliott Friedman, who was not a religious man, who was a, a major biblical scholar, wrote, wrote his own commentary on the Torah, in fact, which is excellent. And uh, those are, I find them extremely persuasive. And I, I don't, and, and the details about ancient Egypt would not have been known by people who were not in Egypt. So, uh, to me, there's no question that the Jews were in Egypt. That, that to me, is, is historical. Whether God brought uh, ten plagues upon the Egyptians, that's faith. I fully acknowledge that. But the the, the uh, enslavement in Egypt, that's that's a fact. The the plagues are faith. You clearly savor the the Dayanu, the song of gratitude. Is this is this the high point of of the well, ritual? Well, it's the best known it's the best known melody uh, for for Jews. Uh, in a lot of these things are sung, and uh, it's an amazing uh, again ancient prayer. You know, if if God only did X, then I'm grateful. But if God only did Y, I'm grateful. And and just a list of all the things God did for the for the Jews then, and it's a brilliant notion. You have to be grateful for what you have. You can't go well if only you did more for me. So again, this this the essence here is wisdom, and the wisdom is how to be grateful, and the indispensability of gratitude to a good life. You know, Mr. Prager, gratitude is such a better condition than resentment. <laughs> One would think, well, be grateful, you'll, you'll feel better. Well, uh, the, the essence 
of leftism, not liberalism, but leftism, is ingratitude. The moment you become grateful, you leave the left. There, there are no grateful leftists. And what our universities do, uh, I've said this often on my radio show, you get a BA in ingratitude, you get a master's in ingratitude, and then you get a PhD in ingratitude. And it's producing angry, bitter, destructive human beings. There is a sour mood out there, uh, uh, certainly is. And I actually said uh, to, to Midge Dector uh, a few years ago, she was at First Things for, for a time, and I asked her about, uh, well, what do, you, what do you think we need more than anything in America right now? And she, she said, gratitude, gratitude. I said, okay, okay. Um, it's distinct. It's a distinct, it's, it's, it's sort of an attitude. It's not really a, it's not a feeling quite. Is it? It's it's more of a. Well, it's it's a feeling, but it's it's also it's intellectual. Uh, it's it's why I call this the rational Passover Haggadah because I, I rely yeah. on reason. Reason is my my vehicle to faith. Yeah, it's a Actually, judgment. She, I'm sorry. It, yeah, you're right. It, it, you're right. It, you're making a judgment about something. Yeah, no, you, you, yes, you're affirming something intellectually. Uh, I'm grateful to be an American uh, and on an emotional level, but it's my mind that that creates the emotion. I know how lucky one is to be an American. I, I don't feel it just because I am an American. I've been to 130 countries. I, I, I know how lucky we are. Hmm. Back to the, the Seder. What is the significance of having the matzah concealed well there there's a lot of uh, mystical stuff uh interpreting that you know it, it's sort of uh, that ultimate truths are concealed from us that god's ways are some ways concealed but the the uh the main function it plays is incredibly down to earth it's to keep the kids awake <laughs> <laughs> because they they have to find that uh, that concealed matzah, which is broken off from one of the three matzahs that start the meal, and uh, the the one running the seder hides that uh, that part of the matzah, that half of the matzah, uh, for the afikoman, which is the Greek word for dessert. Not a very delicious dessert, I might add, but it's the it's the last thing you eat officially at the seder, and uh, and the kid finds it. And then, in order to complete the Seder, you have to have the have this last matzah. So the one running the Seder says, "Okay, did anybody? I I can't find it. I hit it now. I can't find it. We can't we can't go on with the Seder without it." And the kid goes, "Okay, I'll give it to you, but I would like I would like a present for it." And I got the best presents of my life, not on my birthday, not on Hanukkah, but uh, for giving back the uh, the matzah. Hmm. And it certainly, it certainly kept me up all night. And you remember that long after? I remember it. I, the gifts I got, I got a shortwave radio, which started me and in my love of international relations and travel. I got a portable typewriter, which is how I started writing. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, my grandfather was the one I, I, so to speak, stole it from. And, uh, it, it, 
it, I'll never forget it. it it's, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, l- last question. We end with your, your section, well, well the, the, the proper of the book, because you conclude actually with pr- principles of the Jewish faith, which is a very clear exposition, simple exposition of those principles. But the text proper, you end with, quote, acceptance and conclusion. Acceptance of what, precisely? The, the acceptance of, of everything involved here, of God, of, of national gratitude, uh, I, I accept these things, and I am grateful for it, and I can move on with life. And look, you can, there are many ways, of course, of dealing with acceptance. Much of human life revolves around acceptance. The, the, you accept the limitations of this life. You accept the beauty of this life. It's the great Reinhold Niebuhr prayer that you know uh, that, that I I need to ex- I need to know when I have to accept the reality and I can't change it. So it's up to the the participant to I think define acceptance for his or her own life. But it, it's the whole thing is such a profound life-changing thing but that's why i wrote this because i want people to understand how how profound and life-changing the whole thing is and yes i do end with my list and this has taken me a lifetime to to write literally a lifetime the 17 principles of the jewish faith and a non-jew would find it extremely interesting especially a christian to compare their own uh, their, their own faith with those 17 principles. My suspicion is, I, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but my suspicion is most Christians would accept all 17. Uh, there, when I read through, I was just going to say, you're going to say there's a lot of overlap, and there certainly is. Well, well of course there is. That's why we speak of Judeo-Christian <laughs> values. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yes. So, well, the book is The Rational Passover Haggadah. Dennis Prager, thank you for joining us. It was a, a, a real joy. Uh, I, it's not often I'm interviewed by someone of your substance and who read it so carefully. Well, thank you. It was, a, it was a joy. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 877- 332-2930.